It's one thing us promoting our services, but people have to have accessibility to food choices, to services, including social prescribing, smoking services, and that people feel that it's not tokenistic, it's not just us promoting from our positions of privilege, it's for people in those communities trying to get into their shoes and feel and see what they see on a day-to-day basis. And that is a huge task. That's why it's important that it's a collaborative approach. Hi everyone and welcome to HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing. I'm Fergal Fox and today I'm talking to two people who are working on a very significant health and wellbeing, health and equality programme. With me today is Ger Fahey from Limerick. Hi Fergal. And Mairead Kearney from Mayo. Fergal, how are you? Both working on the Slauchicare Healthy Communities Delivery and they're going to unpack the Slauchicare Healthy Community Initiative and all its various components. Mairead, what attracted you to this job? Oh, Fergal, what a t- this is my ideal job, Fergal. Is it? Yes, I'm a trained social worker. So this is the first programme that's blending the social and medical model of health. And I've spent years working in London and in Ireland, and there was always a separation between the medical and the social and community needs. We're at a stage now where we understand that our well-being is our mental health, our physical health, our natural health. And for me to have the opportunity to work within the local authority and my partners, the potential and the vision for this programme. It's exciting. Oh, my God, I'm so excited about it. That's great. That's great. And and Ger, what brought you here? I worked in social care for 18 years before I joined the HSE in January. Really, the appeal for me was I'm from one of those areas. Um, I grew up in an area that needed those additional supports and I could see firsthand the inequality. So for me, there's a bit there on social justice. I'm very proud of where I'm from. And I think that being a part of a team that addresses the health and well-being needs of those communities, the structures, the environment, the programmes, I think I'm very, it, that sits very comfortably with my own value base. You know, Great, so, yeah. uh, and the people I work with. So you're mot- motivated to get up in the morning and get out and deliver. Very much so. And I'm proud to tell people I'm a part of that programme. You know, I'm proud of the programme that we're actually delivering, which is important, you know. So first off, I suppose I want you to tell me, how do you describe Slaunch Care Healthy Communities to the uninitiated that are, you know, you're, you're meeting people, you're telling them, well, we're here doing this new programme. Uh, just like I explain it to my family, I suppose, I'm here primarily to address health inequalities in certain parts of my community that need those additional supports, the communities that need it most. And for me, I oversee the delivery of services to address health inequalities like healthy food made easy, social prescribing, health and well-being parenting, and the very important quit services, in particular, the We Can Quit programme, which is an evidence-based intervention. So so you're bringing a, a suite of health and well-being health promotion programs into the target community that you're working in. Absolutely. And trying to make a difference and trying to get people from those communities to feel the difference. Great. And Mairead, so you're working from a different perspective in the local authority. The the, the innovative thing I think about Slaunch Gale communities is that this we have this new workforce coming together from the local authority sector been funded to buy into this and deliver on this and the HSE. But your role as a local development officer, what does your role look like as part of Slaunch Care Healthy Communities, how do you see, how do you describe your role? Well, I suppose I wouldn't echo in what you say there, Ger. I suppose my role is looking at the wider determinants of health. So beyond the behaviour changes that people 
would be looking at to improve their health. I suppose from a local authority point of view, health doesn't start with just being not sick. It starts with having a good house, good footpaths, excellent transport systems, childcare facilities so you can go to work. It, it's about good water, good waste management. All of that builds into being a healthy person and being a healthy community. So it's an exciting role, Fergal, within the local authority in that you're bringing together all those sections within the local authority, putting health right at the centre of their conversations, their plans, what they're going to do into the future and trying to ensure that all communities have access to good quality of life and that they can live, work and grow to the best of their abilities in the area they live. It's not as easy to define, I'll tell you that, Fergal, from a local authority perspective. But um, where I work at the minute is within the community section within the local authority. So that would bring together the arts department, enterprise, there's tourism, there's ourselves, there's leaders. So we all work together, including Healthy Ireland. We all work together for the communities and bring our resources together within that small section to benefit people. And I suppose the trick for the programme will be to draw in all the other sections so that you can have a broader, healthier plan for the area. So I I think that, you know, one of the most ambitious and promising things with Snow Scale the communities is that not just naming social determinants, but trying to do something about it at a practical level. I think for years we've, certainly in the HSE, we've been guilty of talking about social determinants and knowing that we can't, you know, we don't have many levers to pull in terms of social determinants. But the investment in the local authority is is trying to change that and work on bringing real change to some of those practical, tangible things that people can feel and see in their communities and neighbourhoods. Oh, absolutely. And the partnership between the HSE and the local authority works beautifully together because you've got the behaviour change side of things that we can lean into, free services for people that they can access straight away. So on a practical level, how it works is any community I deal with or go into, my colleagues within the HSE, my coordinator would also come with us. So you're offering health, you're offering a place based, you're offering planning and a direct link in for people into the local authority and into the HSE that is very unusual and has the potential to make real significant change. So tell me a bit about the areas that you're working in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Mayo, but um, <laughs> the part of Mayo that your, your community is targeting and the part of Limerick that you're targeting, Ger. So maybe I'll go, I start back to you, Ger, about like what, what does this community that you're targeting look like for you? So for me, I suppose I'm from um, an area that needed, you know, additional supports. So it's important to me that, you know, the communities that I represent, that, they, they, like I said, they feel the changes. An example of that would be in the north side of Limerick City, you'd have a big supermarket that sells, you know, you know high, high salt, high sugar foods for cheap money. And um, alongside that, then you have a, an off license. And alongside that, you have a bookies. Alongside that, you have a takeaway and then a post office and a pharmacy. So people can take their money out in, in their post office and spend their money on the shops that are available to them, which is, is what I just listed. So for me to come in with the local authority to try to address that, provide those services. But for example, Healthy Food Made Easy only works if people can access the food that they need to cook food on a budget. And if that's not there in their community, that's a problem. So we're trying to address that. We're trying to work in partnership to make sure that these courses are accessible in their community. They're free. People are aware of them. 
and then they can shop sensibly you know, and affordably to buy the ingredients they need. I suppose from a very practical level, you, you, the line up there that, that you just gave us with the shop and, and the, the bookies and all that, that's who's already selling effectively in your community and, and we have to sell health and well-being in the community. Absolutely. But if I was say to Fargal, if people don't have a car in those communities, they have to get a bus into the city centre to buy healthy food. They have to come back out again. Um, so we are selling health and well-being activities with our colleagues in the council and making sure that people um, have the opportunity to improve their health and well-being. It's, it's one thing I was promoting their services, but people have to have accessibility to food choices, to services, uh, including social prescribing, uh, smoking services, and that people feel that it's not tokenistic. It's not just those promoting from our positions of privilege, but, you know, it's for people in those communities trying to get into their shoes and feel and and see what they see on a day-to-day basis. And that is a huge task. That's why it's important, like Mairead said, that it's a collaborative approach, not just between the, the local authority and the HSE, but with the community, the very important community and voluntary partners out there who have the trust of people who live in those communities. Community champions is very, very important in what we're trying to achieve here, where people in those communities promote themselves those services. They're empowered. There's capacity building. And uh, a key component of the services that we're offering in, in the HSE and our partner agencies is peer-led facilitation, where people are trained up to deliver the likes of Healthy Food Made Easy, the we can quit. And because people are, are you know, can, can relate to people from their community better, they're more likely to engage in these services. And they can then advocate with the local authorities and the HSE to improve the health and well-being of people in, in those communities. So those community partners, like it's not it's not you going around raids delivering healthy food made easy or the parenting program. You're trying to create pathways yeah. and address those social determinant pieces. But what kind of partners are you working with in Mayo? Well, I suppose uh, picking up on what you're saying there, Ger, about the different types of area. So North Mayo is a pilot area, which lads would be from Ballycastle all the way down as far as Ackle. So we're talking about a coastal community. I mean, North Mayo, the section for the pilot project is the size of County Leash. So it differs a sense to what you're talking about, Ger, which is a tight community. So when you, my first step there was to look at what that community, what their needs are, a little bit different from yours in that we have a much older population. But across the country in the 19 pilot areas, we have urban, rural, coastal, small town inner city, do you know, there's a, a huge, huge variety. But just like you're saying, if I was doing trying to deliver all these programs myself, I'd need a helicopter, Fergal. So the partners are really, really important. The partners with that we're working with would be the partnership companies. So that would be Mayo Northeast, Uthers Nigeltukta, Southwest Mayo Development Company. They're funded by the Department of Community and Rural Affairs. So they're delivering social inclusion programs there anyway. Then Tuslar delivering programs. So something like the parenting programs, there are partners in Mayo would be Tusla and Froiga. So we work through these groups because, like you say, it's hard for people to engage. So if there's trust built up with workers and organisations, we should shadow or mirror our partnership in that way. So that's kind of how we've been delivering the programmes with the HSE within North Mayo. And I suppose an example of that would be the social prescribing at the minute. Now, that's quite an innovative programme for North Mayo, but it's been delivered by a community organisation in Castlebar on a countywide basis. 
They've been funded by the HSE for a full-time worker in the area just to deal with the Slauncher Care Healthy Communities. But they're a community organisation, so they already have that trust built up. They're not an institution coming in. So how we've worked in partnership is working, providing resources, basically money, towards activities because what came up there was that people that were using the social prescribing service were looking to activities in the community to go to. So clubs that may be available in inner city Limerickshire but that wouldn't have been available in North Mayo. So Creative Ireland funded a pilot project to expand social prescribing into the Creative and Arts Forum to link in those arts organisations, arts centres, cinemas and provide activities, group activities. So an example is there was no point in Mayo County Council doing that or the HSE doing that. At the Family Centre in Casabara doing that for us in and, North and they Mayo. Have, they have, they're one of the first in Ireland to be delivering in the area of social prescribing. They were kind of seen as a national pilot there for a while. I know the National Office for Suicide Prevention did a, an evaluation of their work. So they've been upscaled through the investment of Slaunch Gaelic Communities. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to note that they're evidence-based. Like social prescribing has a huge evidence base behind it. And, and you know, in the UK, social prescribing is absolutely massive. And in the piloting of the programmes over there, they, they realised that there was a 25% reduction in people's admissions to the likes of GP surgeries and emergency departments. And that's what we're trying to do as part of Shalanta Care is to try to, I suppose, ease the pressure on the acute services. And in the medium to long term, you might see a difference in that. But going back to a couple of points you made there a while ago, Marade, levering on, on what already exists is very, very important part of what we do. And we have to acknowledge the work that's been done by the community voluntary agencies for many, many, many years, including, you know, social prescribing models, even though not... Can I just butt in on the social prescribing? Because I think some of our listeners may not be familiar with that social prescribing means Mm. and that project. And as you said, Marie, that is, is it has a... I'd love to give you an example. Yeah, do please. So there's a lovely example um, that I would have seen and it was a 25-year-old male who was attending his GP quite regularly. And he lived by himself. And initially he went to his GP for medical related reasons. But they quickly realised that he was coming over dependent on the surgery. So with his consent, they referred him into the social prescribing link worker that offers one-to-one support. And as part of that model, the first visit is when they meet the patient or the client and ask them what do they want rather than what you think they need. We realised actually that this particular patient and client had very low levels of motivation. So how would you begin an intervention if the person themselves doesn't know what they want? But what the link worker uh, who are usually very skilled and experienced people in the community, realised that, that he had a lovely dog called Rocky. And, you know, he was very caring and nurturing to the dog. And through discussions, the link worker referred him into dog walking club nearby. And what they found over time is that the dog got healthier, the dog got fitter, and the dog met new friends, and so did he. And it was a brilliant example of how this should work. It's a brief intervention. Usually it's, you know, eight to 12 sessions. And it's, I suppose, from the link worker's perspective, it's establishing referrals into the service and then doing research and, and um, trying to find out what's out there to refer clients and patients into. And that's more difficult in the winter months when they're cold and, and they're dark. And that's where the collaborative piece with the local authority comes in with the seed monies to try to look at innovative and creative ways of meeting people's needs. And that's fundamental to the principle of what we're trying to achieve here is levering on existing resources of what's out there. And a good example of that would be 
that in the HSC we have two stop smoking advisors in Limerick City and with the monies from Shlantacare we were able to fund a third one. So it's not as if we're in inventing the wheel here. It's more activities levering on, on the intelligence and the experience of what already exists from out there. You know. So just to go back to the social prescribing, first of all, so you're, you're offering people a social prescription instead of a medical prescription. You're trying to get them connected into the community activities. And as you said, leveraging on what's a, what already is there in the community, be it. Mm, and some yeah. of those are just, uh, you know, community participation projects. Yeah. And like it's recognizing that there's more than just a medical need yeah. out there, you know, and people's health and well-being can be improved by these interventions. So in the medium to long term uh, and, and in a preventative and interventive way that we're providing a service. And I suppose the, the difference here as well between most other services is that people can self-refer into social prescribing in the Shlantica Health Communities. So it's not a GP referral in. It can be. It can be, and it can be other healthcare professionals. It can be the wonderful uh, receptionists who work in GP surgeries. And I've been engaging with a lot of those and they've become champions of their surgeries to refer into our services and empowering people to refer themselves in. But what we're really trying to do here at Fergal is we're trying to reach those perhaps who haven't been reached before. We are aware that there's a number of people who engage in, you know, the wonderful services offered by family resource centres and community centres. But what about those who don't leave their house who are less likely to leave their houses and there's a level of anxiety. Yeah, I, I think COVID has had, um, you know, has kicked people, some people into that space. But and now the kind of our reaction post-COVID of having these health and wellbeing programmes and trying to get, like we're all bouncing back after yeah. COVID. I, I find that's a double-edged sword in a way because what you have is COVID itself has created its own complexities in particular for, for people who may be on the spectrum or have a disability. But also, I suppose, people, uh, and, you know, my colleagues, people I speak with, they now have a huge respect for health and well-being. Um, they really, you know, understand how it's impacted them through COVID. And now they actually, they mind it more, you know. And with that, I suppose, we want to lever on that and, and exploit that a bit. And where people now take their health and well-being very serious. And if that's not eating healthy food on the budget, if it's not engaging in services, having a close network around them, friends and family. And that's what we're trying to to, I suppose, address through the wider health and well-being division that yeah. I represent. You know? Mairead, from like you, you mentioned you have an older uh, population in, in the North Mayo area that you're working in. How do you think COVID has impacted them or how are they bouncing back? Um, I think I can only echo what um, Jara said. Um, the communities are finding it difficult to engage. The social disconnectedness people are feeling is very evident. And I suppose it has been highlighted in the Healthy Ireland Survey 2021 where people, 81% of people felt less socially connected than they did before COVID. Now, as you said, it's easier if you're younger and you have transport to get out and about, but you're living on the side of a hill in rural Ireland, getting out the door isn't as easy as it may seem. And that affects what people eat. It affects their suicide rates. It affects everything. And that's all related to connection to family, connection to community, to connection to health. Because simply at the end of the day, I suppose health starts, doesn't start in the doctor's surgery. It starts in your home with your family, your children, your community, your workplace, even the church or the whatever you attend, the sports club you attend. COVID removed that from yeah, a lot I, of people. I, I, for I, think, I think that that put it, as you said, sure, people appreciate their health and well-being. There's nobody that didn't reflect on their own wellness and their own mental wellness and their physical wellness and all the rest of it during COVID. So we're, as I said, I think we're all on that kind of 
like we all think we're grand now. Actually, we're grand. It's but like, like a form of a, a needs assessment on yourself. Exactly. <laughs> where, where am I? Exactly. Where am I with my, in that, on that invisible scale you yeah. know, of sorts? Yeah. You know? And 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 well, we're obviously trying to work with those communities like yeah. yourselves are kind of working in to kind of help them help themselves, you know, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. But it's not that easy when yeah. some of those determinants. Well, it's the and wider determinants felt. It, it's the causes of the causes, right. you know, and that's what we're really trying to tap into. And COVID highlighted that. So COVID really showed bad housing. COVID showed where there was lack of transport. It really did, didn't it? It put, didn't it, like it, it? Showed, like it put health inequalities in the mainstream media. Yeah. Like I think, like just down the road from me, we have a, a meat factory and all the meat factory workers. I mean, like that was, they were in crisis. It was amazing that the, the, the inequalities that were kind of been the pay, airbrushed the over. The pay inequalities, the entitlements, yeah. the working conditions, all of that came under the white microscope. And then you had, you know, uh, digital poverty. Like, I never even heard of that phrase yeah. until we became immersed in that when we've families in parts of Limerick City that didn't have Wi-Fi, internet connections, or didn't have a laptop, you know. And there was then all of a sudden this kind of gap started to present itself uh, in terms of people being able to do schoolwork and people exactly. who weren't. So it really highlighted issues that really needed to be highlighted long before COVID, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's so important that we don't forget some of that learning, mm-hmm. you know, that, that those inequalities. I know that you're kind of on the coalface inequalities, but it's interesting to reflect on that. Just to go back to the enhancement funding that's been, uh, you know, delivered on by the local development officers in each of the local authorities as part of Sloan Scale, the communities. I was very impressed with what they did in Westmead. I saw that uh, Bridget Gagan, the local development officer there, kind of utilised the enhancement funding to support a number of initiatives in Athlone and, and Mullingar. And one of those was a community hub where it's kind of creating a very welcoming, inviting space for, for the locality to engage in health services or health and wellbeing initiatives. And one of the other ones that just springs to mind, and I know it because I have a, an interest in, in, more than an interest in men's health, is the raised flower beds that she supported a men's shed to deliver on. You know, so you have that kind of virtuous cycle of men getting engaged in a community participation thing and then leaving something that's, you know, making the, literally enhancing the look of the community. So it's, it's fantastic what that, that funding has, like that's a very practical thing, obviously, but you, you must have seen a lot of different initiatives in your engagements throughout the country. Yeah, I've I seen a good example of that, not just good use of, of the community enhancement funding and the seed funding, but in Cork, there is a community enhancement project whereby they built uh, physical activity equipment in a park but there was a collaborative initiative around linking in with the local sports partnership where physical activity tutors were present when local community groups passed by and they were able to coach and teach them the exercises to get the most juice out of that equipment that was put in there. So it was a lovely piece between the local authority, between the sports partnership, between the community and voluntary sector in terms of promoting that resource in the community. Yeah, and I just pick up on that. What you're describing is Bridget helped that community get a sense of place. They own that community hub now. The men own that place by putting in those gardening elements. They're involved now. They're part of it. And that's the first stages of making changes that are good for your health and good for the community. So, I mean, 
from our perspective with our monies, we looked at physical environment and again, bringing that sense of owning the place you live in. So in Mayo, our enhancement project was physical activity. And what we did was we used the existing walking trails and redesigned them so that they were made available for people with mobility issues. The trails were much smaller, down to one kilometre to three kilometres, so everybody could get involved, whether you had a disability or your hip replacement. We created spaces on that sitting area so people could converse and meet and giving a sense of place. But it didn't get the community walking on them, Fergal, because they didn't feel like they owned them. So with, like you say, echoing what you said, that partnership with the sports partnership, we put in walking programs, activator walking with poles programs and normalising walking and owning your environment. And within the pilot area, we've had huge success with that. And it's added on to people getting involved in other activities. It was like a pre-development element of getting involved in healthy food made easy. Once we had them out walking, we could introduce parenting. We could introduce healthy food made easy, social prescribing. So we used our enhancement money as a pre-development side of it. But an add-on was the community now see their walking trails as part of their community, not a tourism part, not something for an outsider. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and Bridget was doing the same within the community facility there in Westmead. This create that sense of place so people can own it and start to do things for themselves. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. One of our policy priorities in HSE Health and Melbourne is tobacco, and we're working to deliver on the you know the Tobacco Free Ireland plan. And there's a couple of components addressing tobacco use in health slanchka healthy communities. We have, um, well, Jared, do you want to tell me about it? Here? Yeah, we have our, our national policy programs and quit.ie is, is available to everybody. Obviously, a huge, um, I suppose, benefit right now is that there's free nicotine replacement therapy, gums, patches available for people if they want to give up smoking, regardless of whether they're from a slanchka healthy community area or not. But in terms of the slanchka healthy community areas themselves, We've had two smoking, stop smoking advisors with Schlondiker funding. We've put in a third one in Limerick City, parts of Limerick City. And with that, there's additional clinics in areas that have been defined as needing the additional supports. So people can come along to their clinics. They can do it over the phone if they wish. But there is a new evidence-based program called We Can Quit. It's a group peer-led program where people who deliver these programs have to be from the community, have to have been previous smokers. And that's actually in the job description and it's in the criteria for recruitment. People are more likely to relate to people from their communities and people who have been previous smokers. We trust people like us. As, as a young <laughs> practitioner, a 22-year-old, I delivered a stop smoking class. I never smoked. Uh, I was involved in sport. Yeah. And the first question I got asked was, did I ever smoke? And I said, no, and I lost the class. Yeah. I'd ate in the first week. I'd four in the second and two in the third. And it was just goes to show where evidence is coming along now is that we are actually recruiting the right people to deliver these programs in Limerick. For example, we delivered one on the north side and one on the south side in 2022. And we've had a 33% uh, success rate of people actually giving up smoking with the support of the nicotine replacement therapy, the excellent facilitators there. Uh, my sister engaged in one of those programmes. As a part of that programme, you have a guest speaker who comes in. The guest speaker was someone from the local sports partnership who made her aware of the very cheap physical activity sessions that were happening up next to Donkey Fords and Gary Owen. And she went along there and now she's not only stopped smoking, but she's exercising twice a week. And that's a good example of how you leave her on the supports out there, not just for a week and quit. 
the guest speakers, the collaborative, the partnership, and amongst all the healthy community activities, whether it's Healthy Food Made Easy, We Can Quit or Parenting, we're actually saying they can interact with each other. Of course. Yeah. If a person has a parenting sport, they also might need to learn Healthy Food Made Easy. They might also like to keep up smoking. And that interactivity between these programs is very, very important. I, I think the tobacco one, though, you know, like, like so it has a couple of components in, in Slauncic Healthy Communities with the We Can Quit and the Smoking Station Advisor and the even the Making Every Contact Count program, you know, where we have the health service staff trying to have those health and wellbeing conversations with service users and patients, you know, trying to make every contact count from a health and wellbeing point of view. Send them to the likes of the quit or send them to your weekend quiz, as you said. What we're trying to do right now in, in the community healthcare organisations are basically there's no wrong door policy yeah. that staff are trained up in MEC, uh, making every contact count where they do an online piece through HSE land, uh, which the HSE supports through their training unit. But also they go face to face and they learn how to broach sensitive topic areas with people in the public. For years, huge opportunities have been lost with thousands and thousands of interactions with parents or patients, should I say, where they weren't given an opportunity or weren't given the correct information to address their health and well-being. Now, there's never been more training available for healthcare staff. We've uh, a number of sites and our own CHO that have been trained up in MEC. They're actually called Making Every Contact Count Sites. And the staff there have to evidence their brief interventions to the national office to make sure there is accountability for staff that are training it. And the likes of referring it to smoking support services out there, there's never been a better time if you want to give up smoking. Every option is available to you, face-to-face, over the phone, in a group, free NRT. Now is the time. And people now, are, like we said earlier on in the, in the podcast, people are taking their health and well-being more serious now. So, um, And a smoker, there's nothing... You know, that's the quickest way to improve your health and well-being is to give it up It is smoke. the lowest hanging fruit for, and there's yeah. so much evidence. We have a, a GP that sits in one of our, our, our advisory groups and th- the very tragic stories that she's relaying to us about cancer and the... Chronic disease. The chronic disease, uh, the health-related issues in relation to smoking, that she's a big advocate of these programs now and she's referred in in the North, Limerick, North Side of Limerick City dozens of, of people into the smoking quit.ie and we can quit. It's so powerful, isn't it? When you've like respected health professional, never, like never mind, you know, a GP, any health professional has so much power, you know, that point referral, whether it's a conversation about somebody's weight or mental health or healthy eating or alcohol, but that tobacco one is, is a, a fantastic one to get. It is. And what we're trying to say to GP, GPs are, by the way, they're inundated. They're very busy all the time. But in, in the areas that we're trying to target, GPs are overwhelmed. And what I'm trying to do with my colleagues is trying to help them help themselves. We're trying to unclog their waiting rooms with, you know, the preventative programs that are available in the community, like the quit services, uh, healthy food made easy, parenting, social prescribing. So in the medium to long term, they should start to see the benefit of these community-based programs in that there'll be absolutely, less people absolutely. clogging up their yeah, surgeries. Yeah. Just like you were saying about social prescribing earlier. Well, there's some qu- some initiatives from um, kind of a non-smoking, I suppose, from the health local authorities' perspective on smoking. If we look at how where we've come in the last 15 years, now we don't smoke indoors. So there's been work done on the Not Around Us campaign which links in with what you've just described. And one of the examples of that, one of the first ones was led out by Colin and which is a youth section within the local authority. So as well as changing with the, the impact of giving up the cigarettes yourself, the impact that has on your children, 
the impact that has in the air quality in your house, but the impact that has on a community as well. So it's that mindset change as yeah. well. And, and on their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the not around us. Exactly. Is the economic side of it as well is massive. It, it is because of the audience that we're trying to reach yeah. where, where there is deprivation already exists. If people are spending their disposable income on cigarettes, which I think you believe yeah. 20 euros a packet now. Our tobacco lead, Martina Blake, was just mm. explaining to me yeah. the other day, the driver that tobacco is around health inequality, like it's driving health inequalities. Like exactly. it's literally it the is. tobacco industry is driving health inequalities. Yeah. And in the communities that you're working in, like we know the differential smoking rates, you know, as per, you know, socioeconomic divide, like 21% smoking rates in, in the most deprived areas versus 9% mm. in, in the most affluent areas. But, but imagine putting in these social policies and legislation around increasing the price of cigarettes without these enhanced supports. It just wouldn't make sense. That's why we have these additional supports out there for people. That's why we have the health promotion officers in the communities driving and promoting these along with our partner agencies that we have to do this in a joint up collaborative way with social policy, healthcare professionals, local authority staff together with community voluntary sector driving these programmes. But I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Fergal. Smoking is actually driving health inequalities. It's raising demand in your hospitals. It's draining people's incomes. It's affecting family well-being and family cohesion. It is excluding people from very disadvantaged groups because like you say, predominantly the, the people that are smoking would be people that may have mental health, addiction issues. Trauma. May, yeah, so... It, it, it's, it is driving health inequalities. I have a thing about it because we haven't actually mentioned vaping as well in some of the research that came out. We have Planet Youth in Mayo that we, it's a SIPSI program. And a lot of the evidence that came from the most recent survey was on the increase of vaping in kids under 18. It's, it's critical, I guess, in one way we're denormalizing cigarette smoking, but we're watching vaping become normalized and we, you know, really have to, you know, shield our youth because once a young person starts into one of those behaviours, you know, that's the that's this really serious thing about yeah. tobacco. Like if you, if you get on board around, you know, 18 or younger, like that's a lifetime of a negative addiction that's going to lead you into chronic disease and give you all those kind of difficult years struggling with the chronic disease. I think we could do a separate podcast yeah, yeah, almost yeah, than yeah, vaping yeah. because yeah. it's such a uh, hot topic at the moment and our, you know, all our our staff are inundated with requests from community voluntary groups how we respond to young people vaping and the position right now is that either way around vaping we know that it's something that's going to have to be addressed going down the line we are going to have to look at policies and programmes to address that going forward Over the last year or so we've seen all the, the 19 areas of Slauncic Healthy Communities kind of have a local launch and have a promotion and um, engage with the community I know you both have spoken about that kind of community engagement in relation to either the enhancement funding or the seed funding and getting out but this is the kind of like celebration of all these programs are here you know telling everybody about sharing that information and some of the events have been you know fantastic I've, I've got to see attend a few of them but I'd be interested to know how, how you got on at your own case uh, Maria in, in Mayo I wasn't able to make that unfortunately The launch in Mayo looked at many different parts it was actually a three phase launch so the night before we worked with the Women's Health and had a, a workshop on let's talk about menopause, which directly impacts women's health in the area. So it, 90 women turned up the night before our official launch. 
On the day of the launch, then we had the opportunity to show the wonderful work on the HSE traditional programs. There was videos on social prescribing, healthy food made easy, the I quit program. And then there was an overall video that highlighted the social determinants of health within the local authority and the work that we were doing. So the launch was an opportunity to show the community and the stakeholders what's possible with collaborations. Great stuff, yeah. And and, and Limerick, I, I got to the Limerick one. I thought, like, it what was, you think? Oh, it was fantastic energy. Thank in you. The, I didn't pay you for saying that. No, no, <laughs> it, it was a great energy. And I was very impressed by the, you know, the women's group that had been through the Healthy Food Made Easy program. Mm. And they were there and they were buzzing kind of because they were. Yeah, the, the, the process of organising the launch actually was the true value. It was the engaging with the stakeholders. It was inviting along to celebrate what's currently happening and what is going to happen between the local authority and the HSE. And that group you're referring to, actually, they're the audience that we want to reach out there. Young mothers in the communities that we've we've spoken about that needed additional support. And for that group of women that came along and, and participated in that Healthy Food Made Easy class, they really enjoyed it. They enjoyed the social aspect of it. That program, the Healthy Food Made Easy, is six weeks long. They came along on the seventh week, even though the program was finished. They wanted to come together. They, they were friends. They managed the social aspect with the crack, the fun they had. And um, you forget your learning and the learning, but the learning happens if you do have yeah, fun, course, yeah, you, yeah. you don't go to something if you don't enjoy it. The launch actually was a premiere of the video asset that they participated in. So they didn't see the video asset until they came along with their friends and their families. And there's always a balance there when you when you do record people uh, for a video asset of perhaps, you know, invading on their privacy or perhaps, the, you know, the public feeling that they were exploited. But, you know, for the people who participated in that program, it was empowering. And that's the feedback I got from them. It was empowering. It was uh, developmental. It was capacity building. And they were so proud to show the graduation of, of the programme that they engaged with. And when Minister Fein came along, he mentioned in my name and they got that recognition. So it was their moment. And that's what I wanted the launch to be about. It was more than just shirts and ties coming along, you know, drinking their coffee and eating their mince pies. But it was also about the community feeling that something different was happening Absolutely, here. Absolutely, yeah. The community, the voluntary organisations, the residents and the HSE and local authority staff came along and there was over 220 people in attendance in the venue, in the community. So it wasn't a corporate venue. It was a, a community centre in Limerick City, which is great. Yeah, we, we like, like it's great to hear the story behind that that video. But as I was saying, yeah, like we were talking about denormalising tobacco, but we need to normalise parenting. Like every parent is going to be under pressure at some stage. So who doesn't need parenting? Yeah, because there's no manual, Fergal. Like when I had my daughter, there was no manual. So you were on a wing and a prayer. And at the age of six, I thought she was doing great. Then when she hit eight, there was a whole new problem. And you need support. You need to be able to talk to other parents or a professional without feeling you're doing something wrong yourself because it's the hardest job you'll ever do. And then you add in social media and the stresses that the young people have and how that impacts on a family. Everybody needs support in parenting to reinforce that you're doing it well and you're doing the best that you can at the time. One of the colleagues that I met recently delivering parenting in Westmead, there are two staff in Barnardo's, but they were talking about what you mentioned, Mairead, is that that peer support the parents get from each other. It's like I'm not the only one uh, feeling like I'm drowning sometimes here or the like getting them out to school is so stressful or, you know, the way the parenting program can target these kind of high stress points, be it shopping or bedtime routines Mm. or things like that. 
And you can prepare on your trigger then Absolutely. so that if going to the shop, don't be bringing the four year old with you. Yeah. It's going to cause chaos. But that's where the programs work. Yeah. And that's I, I think you hit the nail in the head there a while ago. All parents struggle at times and it's never been as challenging as it is right now in terms of, you know, improving the health and well-being needs of a family. And when you look, when you talk about screen screen time, chocolate, obesity, bedtime routines, what we're trying to do at the moment is rebrand the parenting so everybody can feel comfortable going into that space where they can come along, engage in these programs to improve the health and well-being of the family. And that's what we're trying to do right now. And whether that's with the Parents Plus Healthy Families Childhood or Early Years or whether it's with the Triple P Parenting, we're inviting parents in these communities to come along, engage in these, get some tips, you know. And like Maria had said, it might actually address the disharmony that's happening in some of the families about some of the, the topics that we spoke about there a while ago. Like I said, screen time, bedtime routines, feeding, linear diets, whatever it might be. So I think we're trying to promote that at the moment and get rid of the stigma. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the I was just talking to a colleague recently um, about our healthy eating campaign where we're targeting parents, the the start campaign. But one of the successes of that start campaign has been accepting that, you know, parents are under pressure. You know, you're talking to parents under pressure. So like pulling back on the treats or, you know, worried about your screen time and all that's real for every parent. And COVID hit that and multiplied it like that's facts. And we just need to kind of work our way out. As you said earlier, we're bouncing back. Parents have to bounce back and pull their kids with them. And I think at the launch, the video that was done in Mayo for parenting highlighted uh, one of the women that was on it. The main outcome for her was she was able to talk about what it was like in her house and find common ground. But what struck me about the video is when she goes out walking around the town now, she's created this network of parents. So all she's doing is saying, hello, how are you? But that community connection is there because of that course. And there's a common ground that we all have 10 year olds or whatever. And, and And it's in a group. So people learn from each other's experiences in their community. So there's no particular expert in the community and parenting that we all support each other and that's the environment we're trying to create at these classes is that it's not one-to-one support it's group support where people can come along together and not feel judged and these are free they're accessible they're local and they're delivered by people that are trained so I think there's many benefits of it So look at as, as a wrap up on today's episode um, on you know we kind of get a good insight from your work from local authority point of view from a HSE point of view on the whole Slauncher Healthy Communities Implementation. How do you see the next 12 months? What's your plan for the, for the well, next period well, of time? For us, we have a community food nutritionist worker in post to address food poverty, look at food sustainability. We're looking at some creative initiatives in partnership with the local authority. Uh, we'll be rolling out more week and quick classes in the community. Hopefully word of mouth spreads and the demand will, will, will be steady uh, and sustainable. There's never been more tutors trained up in Healthy Food Made Easy in the community groups themselves. We have community champions out there and we're always looking for more people. And in relation to social prescribing, we could do with two of them, three of them, four of them, because the demand really? is there that's, for them. I mean, in parenting, uh, we're looking forward to that rebranding piece that we spoke of earlier. So that collaborative piece is going to be important as well with the local authority and how we can come together with those creative initiatives in, through the com- uh, community enhancement funding, but also the seed monies that are available. So I look forward to that. Any final words from you, Mairead? Yes, Fergal, I suppose the next 12 months are going to be very exciting from my point of view. 
all local authorities around the country are doing their plan for next year, their local economic community plan for the next five years. So it'll be really, really important for me to embed health and different actions, community facilities that are needed, roads that are needed, to build that into those plans so that they get delivered on. And then linking in wherever there is a need within a community, making sure that we bring that additionality that the HSE programmes have. So where we had the walk-in programme, make sure Health Food Made Easy is available by linking in with my colleagues. And hopefully over the next 12 months, we'll be looking at a, something in carbon uh, climate action. We're working with a network in Mayo called Decarbonising Communities. So looking at trying to get us to that zero carbon imprint as it is. We'll be looking at physical activity as well and linking into our physio and our HSE services there and looking at community physio models that could happen. And we'll also be looking at stuff on what does an art prescription look like linking in with social prescribing. So we're looking at is there an impact from an art and a social prescription for people that are vulnerable? Well, well, so there's so many so. exciting um, opportunities. So look, I want to thank you for your kind of frank and honest input today. I really appreciate your reflections on all the different elements of Snowtick Health Communities. There's a lot in it. Uh, we're going to be kind of integrating it into uh, our podcast series. It's going to come up and up again and again. So, and I'd like to wish you the best of luck in your uh, future rules. Thanks, Virgil. Thank you very much, Virgil. So I'd like to thank again Ger and Mairead for their input today on the Slauncher Care Healthy Communities work that they're involved in. And if anyone is interested in any of the services or finding out more, you can go onto the HSC website under Slauncher Care Healthy Communities or go to your local authority website and they've got the information there too. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.